Revelation chapter 1, as we work our way through this revelation of Jesus Christ, we left off at verse 4, but we will get a running start. What are you laughing at? You mean how far I went? Wait till we get to next week. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and he signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Now blessed is he who reads and he who hears the words of this prophecy. And keep those things that are written in it, for the time is nigh or near. Now John, verse 4, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. Amen. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's, it's like John just couldn't help to praise Jesus there. Behold, as we sung this morning, he is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him and they will... And even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now I, John, your brother, both your companion, in tribulation and the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was on the Isle of Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now I was, on, I was in the Spirit on the day of the Lord, and I heard behind me a loud voice, as one as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, that is Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. And his hair was like white as wool and as white as snow, and his eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And listen, this is what happens when everyone sees Jesus. <laughs> and when I saw him, I fell down as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and I am the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I live forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. Now write the things which you have seen, the things which are, 
and the things which will take place after this. And the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, these are the seven stars are the angels or better translated messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are those seven churches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this unveiling to not only the church but the world of who you are. And so, Lord, that we would be blessed by this section, this introduction that John gives us to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection of the dead, that you give us life and that you paid for our sins as we read. And so, Lord, that we would be encouraged and strengthened by this chapter once again. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the last year, would we not agree that uh, a lot of people have a fear or um, a trepidation about who is in control? I mean, isn't that a great statement? Who is really in control? We often think that we're in control, but as we will see in this chapter, we should not be afraid at all because we know exactly who's in control because he tells us that he is in control. Amen. So when you read a chapter like this, and from last week, if you were not here, you need to pick that up, the introduction to this section, is that this church that John is writing to is in the midst of persecution, and this is a book of comfort. Well, how can it be in a book of comfort when you're going through tribulation, as we will see in persecution? Well, you're being comforted by the fact that God is in control and man is not in control. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if he chooses, we go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? So therefore, I don't have to worry about that. So let's dive into it once again. John, verse 4. To the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler, there it is, we'll talk about that in a minute, the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Micah's going to throw up once again. The key to this book that we will mention pretty much every time we talk about it, it is the key to, to the book of Revelation. It is the verse that we will actually get to today, but that is verse 19. And the more that you understand the key to the entire book of Revelation, the easier it's going to be for you to understand. And again, in that verse, he says, write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1, the things which are. That's 2 and 3. That's over the next few weeks with the seven letters to the seven churches. And lastly, the things will take place after this. Again, grasping that is going to help you understand this book. And we talked about that, thank you, Micah, that how easy it is to understand the book of Revelation when you know the writer and the context of it. It is not a, it is not a book of total mystery that we, that we can't understand. Or why would God write it to us? Why would he do that? That's just mean. I'm going to give you a book that you can't understand. Wonderful. That's not what he is doing at all. He is writing this to comfort those, as we will see next week, these real churches in 95 AD, 
but it also is a book that transcends those 95 AD churches to us today. And so we pick it up again in verse 4, and we say, John. And notice John's greeting to you, grace to you and peace. That is the common greeting, not only of Paul, but of Peter. And again, grace represents our standing, and peace represents our experience of that standing in God. The peace that passes all understanding. Well, you can't have that peace unless you know the grace of God, that unmerited favor that you don't deserve to be in heaven, let alone have your sins removed. But it is by God's grace and mercy that he, he even gives us that opportunity. As the Lord over eternity, again, he rules over the past, the present, and the future. And so John tells that to us, and he gives us the triune nature of God in these verses. Please note with me this Old Testament view of, uh, or we would say the name of the Father. It is from him who is and who was and who is to come. This was a reference that the Jews knew speaking of Jehovah or Yahweh. It was something that the Jews of this day would know exactly who John is talking about. Again, the context of a book and of the people is everything. And we mess up as a church because we don't know our history of the Bible or even know the other 65 books or the context or what the Jews believed in the Old Testament. And so this is speaking of the Father. Did you see the next one who is, who is he's speaking of? The seven spirits who are before the throne. Speaking of Isaiah, the reference to the seven uh, uh, completeness of Christ, but here it refers to the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because Jesus is mentioned last. And from Jesus, who is the faithful witness. This is one of those sections I love because people often say there is no Trinity in the Bible. Granted, there is no word Trinity in the Bible, but the theme of the Trinity is all through the Bible. It's mentioned, and here we see and I, we're going to mention something in a minute, that Jesus calls himself God, that people say Jesus never did, but he does that in this chapter as well. And so here we have the triune nature of God speaking not only to the churches, but to us. And it says, Jesus Christ, verse 5, we've got to pick up the pace here. Notice the faithful witness. Why is he a witness? He is the mouthpiece of the Trinity. We, we learned in Hebrews that all things were created for him and by him and through him. And so he is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. That means coming out of that tomb and to rule over the kings of the earth. That's why we don't have to worry about 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or however long we're still here on planet earth because he is the ruler ultimately, amen, over everybody. So therefore, I, I need not fret. I need not worry about what's going to happen or who's in office. That doesn't mean we don't do our civ civic duty. We do it. We promote it. We promote godliness, biblical character, morality. That's important. We push back against those who say, you can have abortion all the way up to nine months. And I don't even want to get into that today, but you and I are about to fund that. It's very sad, isn't it? We have come back to that 
full circle of not protecting the innocent in this nation. And by the way, I don't want to say this to you in such a negative way, but if you're elderly, and I mean a seasoned citizen, you're next. Because you're a drain on society. Not here, but you know. All right, you do drink more coffee than the second service, I've noticed. But if innocent life isn't protected, what about grandma in the nursing home? And hopefully she wouldn't be in New York. Yeah, you'll get that on the way home. But I wanted to make this point because we get so wrapped up, and it's so easy to get wrapped up in this. Alec and I, we were back and forth to the camp, and we were talking about how easy it is to just get angry. Who else is angry right now? I mean, there's nothing wrong with righteous anger, but you're just angry, and then you watch the news, and you get angry. Err. But that's not a quality of life, is it? And so know what's going on, but not let it affect you. And as a believer, we have a great, the greatest filter of all time. It's Christ. So we filter everything through that. And so when you get to a verse like this, you're like, that's great. I know that he is in control. And not only that, is that he loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. By the way, this chapter is chock full of just great doctrine. It's awesome. Not only that, verse 6, look at this. He has made us kings and priests. You didn't even know you were special, did you, until you got to this chapter? You're like, I'm going to be a king. Right on. I'm going to rule and reign with him. We'll get to that during the the thousand-year reign at the end of the book of Revelation. But he has also made us priest. And what was a priest? A priest was bringing people into the presence of God. It's helping them on their path. That is our our call in life as a believer is to help other people see Jesus. Again, Alec and I were talking about what is this, you know, this frustration that's building in a nation and what is our part as believers and allowing that frustration and where is the line and, and... uh, I, was, I just told him, I said, well, from a pastor's perspective on Christianity, looking at it in the world, we kind of let the pagans pick the fight, and then we'll see what happens. But as believers, we really need to follow what the Bible says, to peaceably live with all men, to, to give an example. Let me just tell you this, and I know this is off, but if the Christians pick the fight coming up, then we will be no different than Islam and the optics will be bad, and that will not win people to Christ. Do you see that? And so when we tell people, hey, it's not about a political party. It's not even uh, taking up arms. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. It says we know where we are and are standing in Christ and that he is ultimately, oh, he's coming back. How do I know that? Look at verse 7. Behold, I love those words in the Bible. Don't you love that? Behold, it's like there's some power behind that. Gail Irwin would say power. (laughs) Behold, he, who's he? Jesus, is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Now, if you've got your little handy-dandy timeline there, 
This is not talking about the rapture of the church. This is going to be at the end when Jesus comes back with us riding on white horses. That's right. Remember, get your equine training in now. And then, how do I know that? Because in the rapture, not everybody is going to see Jesus, and specifically not the Jews, because the Jews are the ones who pierced him. And, but it says, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why will they mourn? Because uh, like a kid whose hand is in the cookie jar, and then mom walks in, so too this world who will reject everything God and will get all that they've ever wanted, which is a world without God, full of immorality and violence and pain and suffering. And at one point, they're going to think that they're winning. Who's that? The entire planet will see him. They will see us riding on horses with him. Did that give you good news in 2021? It's wonderful. And then he, verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, if you've got a Bible that has red letters, is that in the red letters? And when it's in the red letters, it's speaking of Christ who is talking. So what did Jesus just say in that verse? Flashback to verse 4. John is speaking of the Father, God, Almighty. What did Jesus just say in verse 8? I'm God. And yet people will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yet it's right here. He says, I am the beginning and I am the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And then in verse 8 now, this section takes us into why John is on the Isle of Patmos, why he is alone and doing what he is doing. And this really, this section from 9 uh, down to verse 20 is the unveiling as we see. This is the revealing of who God is in the form of his son Jesus. He says, I, John both your brother and companion in tribulation. Remember, Domitian is on the throne. Great persecution is coming. It is around 94, 95 AD. And John wants everyone to know, listen, I know where you guys are uh, as believers because I too am your brother and companion because they tried to boil me in oil. It didn't take. And why? We learned this last week because he wasn't a friar. How did you forget so quick? So he says, both your brother and companion in tribulation. So he's identifying with them because, hey, hey look, I, I'm, I'm by myself in Patmos. I understand what you're going through. And as he is writing this book, it brings comfort to them because I don't know about you, but if if you were living in this day and you knew that John the Apostle was going through what I was going through, would it not bring you comfort? It would. Not only that, that he would write a book to me to comfort me in that situation. So, companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience 
of Jesus Christ, who was on the Isle of called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're going to show you where the Isle of Patmos is. We showed you this last week. Just off the coast of Ephesus there, that's modern-day Turkey. And so it is a very tiny island. It was a prison island. Uh, it was a penal colony, and kind of how Australia started out. Uh, and so they would banish people to that island. This is where John went. Now, tradition tells us that after he had finished writing the book of Revelation and Domitian died, that they let, they let John go back to Ephesus where he had spent the previous 30 years of his life. And so these we will see in a minute. These are the seven churches. Micah, you could just leave that up. We'll get to that in a minute. So this is where he is. He is alone. That doesn't mean that there aren't other prisoners. There are, but there are not other believers. He is all alone on this island with a purpose. And we're going to see what the purpose is. But I want to just reiterate this point from last week. Are you feeling like you're on the Isle of Patmos? Well, if you are in that position, please note that God has a purpose for your life and a plan. And just like John, who maybe it didn't make sense, I'm in my 90s and I'm on a rock in the middle of nowhere alone. That doesn't make sense doesn't make sense to us as believers, but he's there for a reason, and Jesus will specifically tell us what that reason is. Notice he says that I am on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, I was in the spirit, or better translated, I was caught up in the spirit. Now, whatever this is or however this is, we don't have a lot of detail all we know is that in some way, some form, was it a vision? Was it a trance? Was he actually caught up like a rapture type, like Elijah? Was it like Enoch who walked with God and then he was not, for Enoch was gone? Was this, uh, pause, if God can do everything, couldn't he just take John up for a little while and bring him back? So that's not out of the realm. Is it a vision? Quite possibly, probably, almost yes, probably yes. Was that definite enough? Maybe. Whatever it was, John saw, whatever he saw was so real and so vivid. We talk about like VR today, right? Virtual reality. And we're never, I mean, I don't know about never, but we're not even close to being real to that. Although we went to like the Bugs Life in Animal Kingdom at Disney and they like spray scents and stuff as you're watching the little film and the chair moves and all that. And you're kind of like, hey, but you're still sitting in a chair. So it's not really real. Whatever John is seeing is so vivid. Whatever God allowed him to see is not only going to blow his mind, but he will oftentimes fall on the ground. Count how many times... <laughs> Over the next couple of months, we see John on the ground. And remember, he's 90. It's harder for him to get back up. So that's got to be pretty good. So he was in the spirit. Don't send me letters. Don't tell me what some guy thinks it is. 
that's not the point. Again, I don't want to get bogged down in that through this book of Revelation. I don't want to try to find the hidden whatever. I just want to read it, as we saw last week, literally, and then when it gets to symbolism, as we'll see, we'll point that out. But it says, on the Lord's day, you might have that in your Bible, it might be translated better, the day of the Lord. Now, that makes sense, because what are we about to learn? We're about to learn this end times scenario that is going to play out, and John's going to write about not only the rapture of the church, but the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, the new heavens, and the new earth. So John is being fast-forwarded through a time machine, so we can have a little perspective, fast-forwarding to a time which he's never seen a cell phone, he's never seen an airplane, he's never seen a missile, right? He's never seen these things. And so with his finite ability to comprehend, he's about to give us what he thinks he sees in all of that. But notice he says, I heard behind me a loud voice, and you're going to see this a lot in Revelation, as of. It doesn't say that it was a trumpet. It says as a trumpet, and a trumpet is pretty loud, isn't it? If, it, if someone stood behind you and blew a trumpet, right, and you didn't know it, it's pretty loud, isn't it? And it would, it would startle you as well. But this is what he says in verse 11. I am. Again, notice how many times this is reiterated by Jesus, that I am. Now, the I am is Old Testament. The I am is Moses with the burning bush. I am. Moses says, when I go back to Egypt, they're going to ask me, what's the name of God? And he, he says, tell them that, the, that I am sent you. Now, if I don't, I, I don't know about you, but if I was Moses, I'd be like, that's not really a name. Uh, Bob's a name. Jedediah is a name, (laughs) I am, but in that, God was declaring who he is, I am, and when he says that to Moses, he's declaring that I am what you need me to be, and so Jesus tells us simply, I am, and those Jews would have known exactly what John was writing. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega in the Greek, I'm the beginning and the end, That means everything between the beginning and the end, in between that is all who? It's all Jesus. Everything is about him. He said, the volume of the book speaks of me. So if the the Genesis and the Revelation, and then everything in between is Jesus, well, then we, we, we dare not fret. He says, write what you see and write it in a book and send it to the seven churches. Now, I don't know about you, but he says, write what you see. Again, how do you write a missile when you've never seen a missile? How do you write about a meteor when you've never seen a meteor? Well, so he'll call it a burning mountain. So that's, that's his frame of reference. And so Jesus tells, John tells us, that you're going to write it and you're going to send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And if you're taking note there on the screen, you can see these seven churches, Ephesus, which is on the coast, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And a couple of years ago, a couple of the guys from the church and I, we went to Turkey and we were able to see the majority of these cities. 
And uh, we'll talk about, uh, I'll tell you, Ephesus is incredible to go through. But Laodicea was also, as well as Heropolis, which is not on this list. There's Colossae on this, uh, uh, in and around these churches. So it's not all the churches in Asia Minor or in Turkey. But it is these churches in whom Jesus specifically wrote a letter to. And we'll get to why that will be important at the end of the service and then next week. And so in verse 12, it says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of that seven lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Now, this was Jesus' favorite definition or his favorite title of himself. He, was, he always called himself the Son of Man. He said, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. Now, this kind of definition that John is looking at and trying to write down the best that he can, and listen, volumes of commentaries have been written about this. It's not necessarily important that we dive deep and figure out exactly what white as snow means. It just means pretty white, right? What did we learn last week about grass? Sometimes grass is just grass. It's green grass. And sometimes white is just really brilliant white. It's like that new T-shirt that you get out of the package. Wow. Doesn't last very long, does it? But it is white. And there's some spiritual aspects to this from the Bible in totality as we'll see, brass uh, in the Bible talks about judgment. This long robe, we'll, we'll start it out here. This clothed with a garment down to his feet. That was a priestly robe or one of authority like a judge would wear. Because in the, in, the, in the day in which John is writing, they don't have robes that go all the way down. They go down to their knees. And I know that's weird. The dudes are wearing dresses. <laughs> but that's what they had back then. They didn't have pants. And when Jesus talks about girding up and Peter talks about girding up your loins and they would take, they would roll it up tight in a knot and they would work all day. More like a kilt for us Scottish and Irish. But a long robe would be for those who could afford such a garment. And it showed a prominence. It showed um, a distinction of who they were. And for the most part, it was delegated to priests and to judges, somebody in authority. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is about to do, judge this world? Not only that, that he had girded about the chest a golden band. Again, it's showing us, uh, that would be up here around his chest, it's showing his importance of who he is. Remember, why would we want to listen to this Jesus what is, his, what is his credentials? Why should we listen to that? Well, because he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And as John is portraying him, he is portraying him as a judge, as a priest. And you listen to that judge and you, that priest. Not, not so much today, but back then they did. And they knew the importance of that. And they respected the authority and what was coming out of that judge or out of that priest. Then his hair was like white as wool. And to emphasize the whiteness of wool, if you didn't think white 
or wool was whiter. He says, white as snow. White, a type and a picture of purity. And so here's the pure nature of Jesus Christ himself. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Now look, we look at Jesus. It's in children's ministry. He's on a flannel graph, although we don't have flannel anymore, and Jesus on a board, right? We don't ever see, I mean, can you imagine John seeing this with flames coming out of somebody's eyes? What does that mean? What is he trying to communicate? We're going to see in a minute that he falls down because that's all you can do when you see something like this. The eyes like a flame of fire. And it could be uh, of judgment, uh, which he uh, adds to his feet, which is fine brass refer- uh, refined in a furnace. Again, the Old Testament, when it talks about brass, it talks about judgment. And then his voice as the sound of many waters. What? What did that sound like? I have no idea. What does that mean? I have no idea. What does this vision look like? I have no idea. I don't, I can't even, it's like, John, how do you describe something like this? You, you do the, the best you can, but ultimately, what is it trying to say to us? I have no idea. Doesn't that bring you hope? <laughs> well, if he doesn't know. And listen, Again, there are volumes of commentaries of people trying to tell us what this is, what it means. Yeah, there's some Old Testament pictures of that, and we see that in the Old Testament. We, we see some of it in the New Testament. Ultimately, we have no idea. I'm pretty sure we're, gonna, we're about to find out what it means. And then he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, we're going to see what the seven stars in a minute. He's going to tell us that. But out of his mouth come a sharp two-edged sword. Now, we know because we just studied in Hebrews that the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. Remember that. But remember when I talked about that sword? That sword was the shorter of the Roman swords. This, in the Greek, is the longer of the sword. Listen, what does that tell us? I mean, if, if John is looking at it and it's a normal sword like in Hebrews 4, he would have said that. But he doesn't. He mentions the longer sword, which is no matter what, Jesus wins. Do you get that? Like, you, you don't bring, and I don't mean to say, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And you don't bring a short sword to a long sword battle. Jesus is telling, I've got it. Everything that I say, everything that is in the Bible is yea and amen. And because we know God is love, everything that he says is for our good. And it is love. And it's not meant to harm anybody's feelings, but that's your feelings. This is the word of God. We've got two feeling E in our nation We're so offended at the drop of a hat. I won't tell you the pastor, but the pastor was invited to a specific church uh, recently, and he had to apologize to a certain demographic people. I think he shouldn't apologize to them, but they were upset at something that he had said 20 years ago. And this is the, it's the feeling thing. 
And we serve of God of intellect, of reason, of sound truth. And yeah, this book is going to offend you at some point. But I don't know about you, but as we'll see John in a minute, this is, this is Jesus, this is God in his fullest form. Not only that, it says he's uh, shining like the sun in all of its strength. When Peter and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got to see a little glimpse of this. They, they, God allowed the veil to be pulled back for a minute, and Jesus in all of his brilliance was standing there. What does that look like? I have no idea either. What is the brightest of the brightest? All right, maybe when you come out of a movie, right? You open that door, and the sun hits you, it's bright, right? You're kind of blinded for a minute, and then your eyes readjust. What was John looking like? All I know is what happens next with John. When I saw him, I fell on my face as dead. Now, I don't want to get into a whole thing about people writing books about heaven. But let me get into a whole thing about people writing books about heaven. (laughs) No, I don't want to do that. All I know is people write books about heaven and the glory. All I know is everybody who's actually in the presence of Jesus act like this. And they cannot stand. (laughs) So... We will be redeemed in the rapture, or if you die to be absent in the body, is to be present in the Lord, you'll get your new body. So you won't have to fall down like John. John is not in that state right now. He doesn't have a new body. He's working with the body he's got, 90-year-old body, frail, sinful, redeemed, and yet fallen. And he falls down as dead. So if John, who is an A-apostle, fell down as dead, who thinks we can stand? Well, we'll, we'll be able to stand. We're going to cast our crowns down before the sea of glass. We're going to worship holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and who is to come. And so John here, he's on the ground. That's a great picture. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. No matter what state we are in, don't you love that Jesus just comes and comforts us? No matter where we are, even when we're on the ground like John. And in the presence of God, he comforts us and he pulls us to our feet. Notice he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. He can say do not be afraid because he is in control of all things. We already learned that. And he says in verse 18, I am he who lives. (laughs) Not who is dead, not who's still in the tomb. I am the one who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Let's pause a second. When was the last time John saw Jesus? About A.D. 32, right? They're on the Mount of Olives. And they see Jesus taking up in the clouds, and the angels who are standing around, guys, what are you looking at? The same Jesus who you saw going in like manner will come back. So John, for 60-some years, he hasn't seen Jesus. What was that like? To see him pull him up, as we will see, with the nail-pierced hands. The very hand that paid for John's sin, paid for our sin, 
And he says, I am he who lives, who was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And even Jesus says, amen. That's the truth, so be it. That's what it means. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And he'll get into that later in the book of Revelation. But Jesus holds all things. He's never caught off guard. And then, verse 19, the key to the entire book. Write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Again, this is what we've talked about. We'll throw it up on the screen again so you can see it. The things that you've seen, chapter 1. The things that are, chapters 2 and 3. This is the seven letters to the seven churches. And then the things which will take place after this. That's chapters 4 through 22. Again, the book of Revelation is not a book of deep mystery. It's not a book that cannot be understood. It is a book of once you understand the key to it, like the Rosetta Stone. Once they found that Rosetta Stone in Egypt, they were able to translate hieroglyphics. Before then, they couldn't figure it out. Like, it's all hieroglyphics to me. But as soon as they got that, they were able to understand what those hieroglyphics meant. So too with us. Once we know this, and I, I will tell you, you will, it will drive you crazy how many times I will mention this verse through this book of Revelation. But this is it. It's not a hard book to understand if you know the key to the book. Lastly, in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the seven messengers. That's a better translation than angel. Of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So what I like that God does, and it's not just here, but it is in his parables. He always gives us the answer to it. He just doesn't leave us. He equips us with the knowledge we need to combat it, to go forward. He didn't just say, well, you guys are a bunch of sinners. Good luck with that. He doesn't do that. He gives us the tools that we need to succeed. Why? Because God is for us. He wants you to succeed, and not in the business way, but in your walk with him to make it through the trials and the tribulations of life through COVID 2020, 2021, and on however long we're still here. He said, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. Again, the important thing to note here is where the messengers are, the angels, the messengers. Where are they? They're in the right hand of Jesus. This is a place of safety and strength, and the Jews would have known that. The right hand was the dominant hand. You lefties, my heart goes out for you. To be on the right hand of Jesus was the place of prominence. The right was the stronger. And so to be in Jesus' right hand, listen to this, that Jesus has us safely and the strength that we have as believers comes from Him, from His Holy Spirit. So therefore, we don't need to worry. Tonight, we're going to be praying for a pastor who is in jail in Canada. 
for simply doing what we are doing right now. They just simply opened up, and he is in a maximum prison. Other businesses are open in Canada, but that pastor's in jail. Tonight, we're going to pray for him, for his legal team as well. But even in that jail, he could read this section and know that he is safely in Jesus' hand. No matter where you are, you're in Jesus' hand. Even the problem churches, as we will see, and there are some problem churches on this list, even those problem churches are in the right hand of Jesus. Now, just for a moment, throw up these seven letters to the seven churches guide. We will show this next week, but I want to get you prepared for what we're about to go through, which is chapters 2 and 3, these seven letters. Now, I want you to be prepared in this because this is how we are going to apply every church as well as your handout that you got that tells you these things. So I would read ahead, look at this handout, and note that this is how we're going to view each church. Each church is a real church in 95 AD. These are real churches in history for the last 2,000 years and beyond, even to today. There are churches today that are represented of this church, and then this represents individual Christians. Now, if you're confused, hold on. What this is saying is that you could be an Ephesus church going to a Philadelphian church, or you could be in an Ephesus church today, but you're a Laodicean today. These are four ways that we will apply this section of the seven letters to the seven churches. We will have great amount of fun with the first two because these are real churches in 95 AD during the day of Domitian. Where are they? The, the context of what Jesus is writing to those churches specifically for them. When he's talking to Laodicea about hot and cold, we're going to see why that is so important and what that actually meant. What did it mean to be hot and cold living in Laodicea? What did it mean to be the dead church of Sardis? What did that mean to them specifically in 95 AD? And then all through church history as we will lay out. It will be, and it will take us a good amount of time, each letter. I, I pray that we are able to get through each letter on one service, but there is a lot of information. Please pray for me. Pray for your mind. It will be a lot of information. You will get some history. You will learn things that you have never learned before because a lot of churches don't ever teach the book of Revelation. Not only that, they don't ever teach the second one, which is church history let alone that you could be this type of church, not only going to that type of church, but you yourself could be that type of church. But here's the fun thing. You could be going to that type of church or be that type of person, but you don't stay that type of person or stay that type of church. Anyone else confused? My mind's going about a mile a minute. So you could like be in Ephesus and then change back to a Philadelphian. And just so you know, for our PA people, you want to be the church of Philadelphia. We have a little strength, but we have a testimony that we have not denied the word of God. So read ahead, lot to take in over the next few weeks. Oh, roller coaster coming, but I like them. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this revelation of Jesus Christ. Knowing, Lord, that that your Son, who is God, part of the triune nature of God, is in control of all things. We thank you, Lord, that we are in the right hand of Jesus. Jesus even said, Lord, whatever you have given me, I will not lose. So as he gives these churches and individual, Lord, we know that you will not forsake us nor leave us. So, Lord, we thank you for our time and look forward to, Lord, what you will say. To those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen.